Three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make- all the advantages. It's easy. Welcome back to the Aggie War Pod. My name is Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, TexasFootball.com. We are two weeks away from sending the magazine off to press. So starting to see the finish line there. Joined as always by co-host and world traveler, well, Texas, Texas Highway Traveler, Jay Arnold, former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman. Jay, uh, how is the car lag? How's the barbecue uh, hangover doing? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I'm still suffering from the meat sweats, honestly, after this weekend. But uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. It was, uh, it was a fun trip, though. Got to see some uh, great barbecue spots and uh, watch a little bit of football, too. Appreciate the invite, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I figured I figured you were too busy with the with the magazine. I didn't think you wanted to see me. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Good call. Um, on this week's episode, we're going to discuss a couple recent portal additions that's still going on. A&M adding to the roster uh, for 2023, loading up there at different positions. Uh, we're going to talk about a coaching hot seat uh, piece that I did in a power rankings piece I did at texasfootball.com. And then, as I mentioned, revisit Jay's trip to Austin and San Antonio for some barbecue and XFL. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, tell a friend, all that kind of stuff. I was told to do that more on the front end rather than the back end. Uh, so, you know, please rate, subscribe, all that kind of jazz. Uh, let's get into it. Transfers. Uh, the one that I thought stood out the most out of these just recent few, this last week, week and a half, two weeks, uh, running back David Bailey from, from Colorado State. If you look at his 2022, he's going to go under the radar. He only played in three games, only had 20, 20 carries last year uh, because of injury. But if we go back to 2021, he carried the ball 197 times uh, for 752 yards and nine touchdowns. Also caught the ball 15 times for two touchdowns. It feels like that running back room was a little bit of a question mark going into the spring. Like, what is it going to look like after Devon A. Chain? You lose a star player like that. Questions, obviously, are going to be in that position group. But now you look at a four-headed monster of Amari Daniels, Le'Veon Moss, Ruben Owens. You add David Bailey, a senior in there that's now in his sixth year as a college athlete for some maturity and experience at that, at that position. Uh, it's starting to look more and more like a potential strength. Yeah, and uh, Bailey's a big, strong back. Uh, I mean, he's listed at, I think, like 6'1", 225, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to be a bit of a bruiser, which is, you know, nice to have a little bit of uh, a little bit of that power. And, and like you said, the experience there. Uh, I mean, he's played uh, in a place in Boston College who kind of has a history for producing good running backs. I'm, I'm trying to think of the guy. Uh, I think he's with Green Bay. Uh AJ Dillon uh, was uh, was a Boston College product, uh, so you know comes from a, a school there that had a little bit of a history with the running back position. Was at Colorado State and is now at A and M. Uh, obviously, there's always questions when a guy's on his third school, but uh, you know he has the experience and and experience in a running back room is never a bad thing. Then at linebacker, another position we've kind of talked about a, a few times on this podcast of, of a potential weak spot, or at least a concern, something that we're not sure what the depth is 
uh, beyond the first couple starters. Durante Davis uh, from Jackson State, obviously, Deion Sanders fame. Third on the team in tackles last year with 58. Uh, he'll be a senior, another experienced elder statesman and upperclassman coming in uh, to provide depth, maybe push the starters and, and make it to where AM doesn't need to start or have a true freshman being the number one linebacker off the bench in the 2D. Yeah, and uh, that's what we talked about in the uh, in the spring game, especially with Tarion York, who looked really good, I think, in the spring game. Mm-hmm. But bringing in that kind of experience and also uh, Dronte Davis has a little bit of size as well at 6'1", 225, uh, that, that was maybe missing uh, for depth in the linebacker room. And, I mean, I just think A&M needs all the linebacker depth they can get at this point. Uh, so even if a guy like Geronte Davis doesn't end up starting or pushing the starters much, uh, it's still great to have that depth there uh, behind Edger and Cooper and, uh, and company at the uh, linebacker position. He can be a big body, like you mentioned, to come in on, on certain rundown situations. Somebody's going to get banged up, and it's college football. It's football in the SEC. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to miss a game. Uh, he gives you an older guy to, to put in there, hopefully, rather than having to go with an 18-year-old. I think there's some value in there. It's going to be a step up, uh, but he'll see all that in fall practice and, and get that going uh, before the season starts. So that I think that's a good pickup. Texas A&M, 123rd last year in run defense out of 131 teams. Uh, so anybody you can get in the front seven that's big and physical, uh, that's a good add. At wide receiver, that position group, I feel like, is the strength of the offense, maybe the strength of the team, along with secondary. They add Jade Walker from Grand Valley State. That's a Division II team, 6'4", 185 pounds. I believe he has two years of eligibility left. It's impossible to figure out eligibility stuff with COVID. Maybe in two years we'll get back to kind of <laughs> normal. Uh, but as we mentioned with David Bailey earlier, he's in his sixth season of college football. So I believe Walker has two years left. He caught 30 passes last year, 651 yards, four touchdowns, average 20.8 yards a catch, 6'4", 185 pounds. There are some good slot receivers for Texas A&M. Decent outside receivers, obviously, also, you know, Evan Stewart may end up being the best wide receiver in the state. Uh, But with that 6'4 frame, it feels like Walker provides maybe something different, uh, a different change of pace than maybe the top four wide receivers currently on the roster, that being Stewart, Noah Thomas, Anaya Smith, and Moose Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Noah Thomas is the the other big body guy I would look at. But, I mean, yeah, 6'4", 185, and you have to think that he'll put on a little bit of weight uh, at A&M as well. Uh, Walker just provides that big body target that, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of a mismatch problem to have, right? Like, uh, you want those guys that can uh, – kind of go up and get the ball against smaller corners and uh walker i think uh was coveted by quite a few schools i mean obviously there's you wonder about the level of competition at d2 uh but when you look at his offer list and then you know there's a lot of uh power five schools that were looking at after him i mean he had offers from schools like colorado kentucky michigan state uh that's good company to be in. So uh, I think he's got a guy that can come in and, and be a contributor right away. Uh, and, you know, at the receiver position, you're going to have a little bit of a rotation going likely anyway, uh, especially now with Bobby Petrino kind of pushing the tempo a little bit more on the offense. So yeah. uh, rotating guys in and out. I mean, it's going to, it's another position where it's good to have bodies in there. And for, for those uh, first time listening and maybe haven't caught it, I believe Tyron Smith is going back to UTEP. Uh, you know, he kind of, he came to A&M. Uh, thinking Anai Smith was going to leave, Anai Smith coming back because he was injured, couldn't go through all the combine. 
uh, training stuff. From what I know, uh, Smith will be back at UTEP. So that that's why we're not, not mentioning him. Um, and then lastly, we'll talk a little bit about Jalen Henderson, quarterback transfer from Fresno. Now, as you kind of mentioned before we started the show, it's just never a bad thing to add another body, another brain, another arm into that quarterback room. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I think we're both in agreement that Connor uh, Wegman is going to be the starter this year. Uh, obviously, coaches are going to continue to probably act like there's a competition there between uh, Wegman and, and Johnson. But uh, if this becomes a, a scenario where, you know, somebody – loses the quarterback battle and decides to transfer out. I mean, obviously having Jalen Henderson in there is, uh, is, is another great body to have. And, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, again, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to push the starters necessarily, but like you said, having another brain in the quarterback room, never a bad thing. And as AM fans know, I mean, it's just one play away or a couple of games of struggle away from, from getting in, um, you know, to the two deep there, uh, at least. So, you know, another another body in there, never a bad thing. And you don't know, I would imagine, I, I would wonder, I guess, uh, how much this is Petrino, Jimbo, who kind of like, right, who who determines the quarterback room and what they want it to look like moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there may be a little bit of a Petrino influence on this one for sure. Uh, but we'll see how, uh, how that kind of develops and uh, kind of monitor. I, again, like, I still don't think we saw as much of the new offense in the spring as we will this fall. So I'm really just kind of looking forward to the season so we can, you know, see what that offense looks like in, in an actual game. Yep. AM offense, one of the uh, more fun storylines of the offseason. Although, you know, I think I have more question marks about the defense than I do the offense. I, I think the offense is going to be okay. Uh, I'm more concerned about that front seven, the pass rush, stopping the run. Uh, but I'm excited to see what Petrino can do with all those weapons if he's kind of allowed to do what he wants to do and call the plays that he wants to play. For me, it gets super interesting in the third quarter of an SEC game when it's like 17 to 14 and the offense is a little wonky because SC defenses are good. You know what I mean? That's when yeah. that's when it's going to get really fun because you're blowing out teams early in the con- you know non-conference. Like that's that's going to be no no pushback. Uh, but, you know, I always joke, you know, Gary Patterson would come out of the second half. Sometimes he'd have a different color shirt on and you go, oh, GP's taking over play calling. You know, that's why that's why he's got on the purple short shirt so they can find him on the sidelines. I, I wonder how much that happens with Jimbo and, and Petrino and, and what that looks like during nut crunching time in the third, fourth quarter in a game that the offense maybe isn't playing its best. Yeah, I think uh, we've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast and. Uh, that dynamic between those two is going to be interesting to watch. I hope they lean into it. I hope they, I hope they kind of lean into it and pretend like they don't get along, even if they are getting along. I was like, really be is really play it up. You know, they both have such big personalities as a, as a university. You should just go with it the way Lane Kiffin has. Yeah. Steer into the skid. Exactly. Steer uh-huh. into <laughs> the bit. All right. I did a, I did a, what I imagine is controversial. I try not to look too much at the comments, uh, uh, but I have gotten some questions about a power rankings list um, that I put out today at, at texasfootball.com. One of my favorite parts of the job, maybe my favorite part of the job at Dave Campbell's Texas football is the month of April when I get to go around uh, to every university in the state, You know, talk to the head coach, talk to a couple coordinators, talk to a couple players. Uh, I went to 11 of the 13 this year. Uh, I didn't go to UTEP, did that all over the phone. 
uh, just super busy with all the magazine stuff. And so I just didn't have a couple days to get to El Paso, unfortunately. Although, to me, most underrated city in the state. Love that place. Great food, great people. Uh, not that much traffic. Awesome area. Uh, and then I didn't go to Texas State because our sport, our college editor, Ishmael Johnson, uh, went to Texas State. So he likes to do um, the Texas State section. But I went to all the other schools across the state. And so I feel like I get a pretty decent uh, idea of kind of the vibes and what the coordinators are saying, what the coaches are saying, what the players are saying, where the confidence level is. And I need to say this before we get into it. I try to look at the power rankings as it's not fair to rank Sam Houston and Texas A&M on the same list. Honestly, like it's not, you're never going to have a complete list that way. You have to pick a way to do it. And the way I do it is to compare it to conference competition. How likely is a team to win their conference? That's how I rank these things in the power rankings. So I went Texas number one. I know, I know. I went Texas number one, UTSA number two, Texas Tech number three, SMU four, TCU five, then Texas A&M at the sixth spot, Baylor at seven, Houston at eight. If you still care, please go read the list and give me another click. Um, But Jay, I wanted to pick a team that wasn't the Texas Longhorns. I'm from Austin. I grew up around the Longhorns. My grandfather worked for that football team. I, as much as anybody know, uh, how these preseason expectations get for Texas and they never meet them. But it just feels different, man. It just does. They got five offensive linemen coming back. They got a lot of their defensive production coming back. They got Jalen Catalan coming in from Arkansas. If he can stay healthy, he's one of the best Big 12 you know, defensive backs. And to me, it's the Big 12 is winnable. We watched Baylor go from a two-win team in 2020 to Big 12 champion in 2021. We watched TCU go from firing their legendary 20-year, 10-year head coach uh, for a five-win season and then going 12-0. and it feels like Texas, as long as the quarterback position can do it, uh, is the favorite to win the Big 12. And I say that knowing that Steve Sarkeesian has never won 10 games in the history of his coaching career, and he's never won a conference championship in the nine years he's been a college football head coach. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I think Texas is going to win the Big 12. I'm pretty sure that's where my money's going. Uh, please make fun of me. <laughs> Well, I I can't really blame you too much for it. I get it. I mean, there's uh there's a lot of factors that are that are shaping up in Texas's favor, and I think they want to look good their last year in the Big Twelve before they head to the SEC. Uh, I think that's a big part of it too. Uh, here's the one thing I say is, if you're looking at this by uh, who looks best compared to the rest of their conference, I think uh. You can make a good argument for UTSA and SMU yep. and the American, uh, depending on what Tulane does. Uh, Texas Tech, I mean, they did beat Texas last year. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma. Uh, and Oklahoma. So there's something there. Uh, looking at AM against the rest of the SEC is just kind of too difficult. So I, I think that you can kind of place them a number of places, uh, depending on what you expect out of this year. Uh, I do think Baylor bounces back. I, I don't think Baylor's going to have another uh, uh, poor season in, in 2023. We'll see. I mean, I, I don't really know why I think that, other than I, I think that Dave Rand is a good ball coach, and and I don't see him uh, having two terrible seasons in a row. Uh, TCU is obviously going to have some kind of come down. They have uh, to. They have to, literally. Uh 
I mean, I guess they could win it all, but that would make me feel really uh, like I don't know anything about football yeah. at all. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then U of H is an interesting one because they're losing a lot and going into a new conference. I think they may end up being near the bottom of this list. Uh, yeah, I could make a case that Houston at eight is too high. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. And again, I want to give the whole list away. So uh, make sure you go check this out at uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. That's TexasFootball.com. Uh, but it's a it's a very interesting year for Texas college football, and uh, I can't I can't can't wait to see how it plays out. I don't think there's a great team. Right. No. I don't think I don't think there's a top 10 team in the state, a top 10 team in the state. You know, obviously we saw what TCU did last year, even what Baylor did the year before. So, of course, one of these teams could jump up and surprise us. I believe I would pick Texas Tech as maybe that dark horse team to jump out and surprise us. You know, if Texas doesn't count. Right. Texas and Texas A&M to me can never be dark horses just because of the, just the sheer talent on campus. And if this was a power ranking of best teams or top talented teams, AM probably be second, you know, like as somebody who went to a practice of 11 of the 13 teams in the state, two of them look different than all of the other ones. You know what I mean? Like, like Texas and Texas A&M have different sets of human beings. I guess the other schools, some of the other schools like Baylor has four of those guys. You're right. Like Texas tech has three of those dudes, Houston, but A&M and Texas have like 10, you know, between like just offensive yeah. linemen, just physical specimens. Um, and so I do feel uh, like they would be, you know, maybe second on that list. Uh, and I understand also the pushback from AM fans. I totally get this, that if we're comparing it to conference foe, AM is always going to end up disadvantaged because their conference is so tough. 100%. UTSA is getting compared to maybe Tulane. SMU is the other favorite in the AAC. Texas is getting compared yeah. to Kansas State in a year two of Oklahoma. Brent Rebels, we don't know what that is going to be. Uh, so hey, I get, BYU is going to be in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I get, I get that A and uh, has a harder, like they have harder competition subsets, so that bounces them down that way. But also, when you recruit at the level of A and M, and you have the money that A and M has, and and all, like, I'm not going to feel too sorry for you, right? It's a power yeah. rankings list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I will say is, I think, uh, you know, Texas State could surprise some people in the Sun Belt this year. Uh, obviously, it's a, a new coach coming in and. Uh, different approach but i think uh gj kenny could uh could end up pulling in some pieces and having a, a good little uh good little squad down there in san marcus the talent on that roster is already better and he's brought in you know Deion sanders is doing this in the limelight because it's a power five team and he's Deion sanders nfl hall of famer all that kind of stuff G.J. Kinney's got about 45 new faces on scholarship <laughs> in like four months right so he's not too far behind uh, what's happening in Colorado. That's probably a story idea. That's something I need to, I need to get down to San Marcos and investigate that. Uh, but he's quietly doing a similar thing. He brought in about 15, uh, maybe 10 or so from incarnate words. So he knows some of those faces, but another 30 are new guys. It's going to be fascinating to see how that happened. That TJ Finley uh, from Auburn quarterback transferred just in Malik Hornsby from Arkansas transferred in before spring. That's two sec quarterbacks transferring in. Uh, to Texas State in, in a three, four month span. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to me. And then the other one, before we move on, that I find super fascinating is going to be Sam Houston, uh, right up the road 
uh, from College Station. I know a lot of Aggies are actually Sam Houston grads. You know, goes you know from that from that area and stuff. And so uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to see them play FBS football. I don't know if you've seen Sam Houston's schedule, but it is loaded. It is a tough, tough, tough introduction to FBS football. The over over under for them was released today. It's about four. Um, if they could get to six wins, that would be a hell of a coaching job for Casey Keeler, who, by the way, was just given a four-year, $350,000, something like that, extension there at Sam Houston. Yeah, uh, they they did not get an easy landing for their no. first year in, uh, in college football, uh, or sorry, in, in FBS football. Uh, you kick off the season, and it just, like, it's just tough competition after tough competition. It's rough. I mean, you get BYU, you get Air Force, uh, and you get U of H to start the year. Uh, in conference, I mean, I think they have a, a chance in conference against some of those teams, but like Western Kentucky has been really good recently. Yeah. Western Kentucky uh, and Liberty are, are are better than everyone else in conference. Yeah. Music. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you look at UTEP and UTEP's going to be scrappy. They're going to be tough. Uh, Jacksonville State is a team that has been good at the FCS level. Uh, I think is Rich Rod's there, right? Yeah, that's who's uh, man in the helm there. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a tough team. And then New Mexico State has improved under Jerry Kill. They got the uh, the bull win last year, so yep. it's uh, you know, it's obviously like Conference USA isn't the. It, we're just gonna call it like it is. Yeah, Conference we're USA is probably the worst conference in the fbs oh yeah but but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for sam Houston state to just come in and, and win right away they're not going to beat james madison in the sun belt uh, <laughs> who who had a way better season than most people expected yeah they're not going to be uh james madison how the, the silver lining for sam houston is if they do get to six wins it does sound like they're going to be able to get in above apr quali- quality teams so if there's not enough six win teams to fill all the bowls, which there normally isn't, uh, Sam Houston, if they can get to six wins, uh, might be able to get in there. But yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough, it's gonna be an interesting one. You know, there's only three coaches with more wins in college football active right now uh, than Casey Keeler at Sam Houston. That's Nick Saban, Mac Brown, and Brian Kelly. You know, so he knows how to win some football games. He's just been used to just you get into the playoffs and then you figure it out from there, rather than every single week. Is this kind of championship week? So he's going to have to adjust the way he coaches. They're not quite at 85 scholarships, so they're going to figure that out. Uh, they got Grant Gannell, the transfer from uh, that he he's played a bunch of different places, but he kind of set the UIL state passing record at St. Pius uh, 10 over there in, in Houston. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch that UTEP Sam Houston game. I may try to talk you into to meeting me at. It's on a Wednesday. That's right. You're not gonna you're not gonna have to talk me into it too much. I mean, I, I love me some Wednesday night football. They have, they're trying to do the kind of the Sunbelt thing where Conference USA is going to like all of their teams have like four midweek games in a row, basically, where they're playing Tuesday or Wednesday. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. But UTEP, like El Paso in Huntsville on a Wednesday. Come on. Absolutely. That's my kind of sicko stuff right there. That's, that's tremendous college football <laughs> action. And to your point about Conference USA, it's kind of a halfway house between FCS and FBS right now. And that may look yeah. bad on paper. I think that could, you could carve a niche, you know, like the way the Sun Belt has uh, of just kind of being these fun uh, new programs into FBS. Maybe you can capture 
national attention on a weekday when you're not going up against anything. So that'll be cool. That'll be cool to watch. It's only 30 minutes from College Station. So, you know, it's easy to kind of get over there and watch some football. They're going to have to figure out that stadium, though, because, uh, you know, they only average about 10,000 people or something, and uh, their stadium isn't big enough to technically qualify for FBS football. They're going to have to have to figure out Bowers. Yeah, uh, and it, it's the, they have trouble kind of packing that anyway, as it is, yeah. but, uh, which is kind of crazy considering the amount of success they've had at the FCS level. But, uh yeah, it'll be interesting. And I mean, it's just an hour up the road from me in Houston. So uh, getting from Houston to Huntsville is not that difficult. Yep. And then another thing I did was a hot seat list because it is May. And this is what sports writers do in May. Uh, we scramble for clickable content. And so power rankings, hot seat. Uh, on the hot seat, I put Dana Holgerson and Mike Bloomgren. Uh, not because I dislike the city of Houston, uh, but it feels like Holgerson... Uh, entering year, I believe five, I should have looked that up earlier. I think, I think it's year five, um, only gotten to above eight wins one time, met eight wins once moving in the big 12. And this is what he was hired for to kind of take Houston into the big 12, the way he did West Virginia looked like he had turned the corner in 2021, you know, an eight win season. And it doesn't look that bad on paper, but it was absolutely disappointing. And then you couple that with the transfers that have left the program. It really feels uh, like, you know, maybe the culture is in question in Houston, and this is going to be a, a big season for them. You look at Houston's schedule, and if you can count six wins, God bless you. Like, it, it is, you got to convince yourself. You got to, it's like 2 a.m. in a bar. You got to start squinting to see six wins coming from Houston's schedule. <laughs> um, and then for Rice, I know it's unfair because, like, Rice is the toughest job in the state in my book. Like, we're only talking about FBS jobs. I believe it's easier to win at UTEP than it is to win at Rice. I know that's getting a little bit easier and easier at Rice because we're lowering some standards for athletes and stuff, but um, the American money is helping it a little bit, moving the conferences, but that's a tough job. But you got to make bowl games more than 20% of the time, and that's all Bloomgren's done so far is make one bowl game in five years. He's going to have to get to six wins to keep his job. Where it gets interesting to me is the next rung on that ladder. When we get to warm, I put Jimbo Fisher on the warm list because I feel... If he doesn't get to eight wins, we're having some discussions in November on what's going to happen with with Texas A&M's head football coach. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jimbo absolutely has to uh, get to eight wins, uh, if not more, uh, to kind of fight back the uh, the tide of discontent. I guess mm-hmm. I should say among that's a good A and M faithful. Uh, it's. Obviously, five and seven is not the standard. It's pretty unacceptable among the uh, AM faithful, regardless how difficult the SEC is. You know, it's it's a tough conference, yes, but when you're getting paid what Jimbo Fisher is getting paid, there are expectations. Uh, I look at the schedule, and it, it's not an easy schedule. Again, it never is in the SEC, but uh, you also have the non-conference game at Miami, which is going to be a little bit tricky. Uh, but... AM, I mean, I think anything below uh eight wins and and Jimbo's in a lot of trouble. And I think even at eight wins, uh, there's still gonna be some people who are discontent. It's just a little bit it'll it'll ease up a little bit just based off of what last year was. Uh but yeah, I think warm is definitely a fair place to have it. Uh warm bordering on hot. The re I think eight wins. I mean, again, we should point not all eight win seasons are created equal. 
if he goes eight and four and those four losses are pretty respectable and they're against top-notch teams and they're by single digits, then yeah, you lose to Alabama by four, you lose to LSU by six, right? Like that's not, that's not going to be huge. Especially LSU in Death Valley. Yeah. Like that's not going to be a huge mark on you. Right. But if you're losing those games by 20, 25 points and you don't look close at all to the top echelon of the SEC, you're in some trouble because if you get to eight wins and you're pretty close, right? You go eight and four, nine and three, and you're pretty close in those other three wins. I can figure out a way to, to make myself believe that AM is a, a conference, one of the conference favorites in 2024 with all that talent coming back. And so uh, I do think that plays a part of it. When you're firing or keeping a coach, I do believe what you project 2024 to be becomes a big factor. You have so many of those guys that are the most talented players on this team. They will be in their junior years in 2024. I wonder how much that helps them. If Evan Stewart, if Connor Wegman, uh, if all of those guys are coming back in 2024, if they can get to eight wins, can they kind of like do what Texas is doing this year where they go from five to eight to being a conference contending kind of top, you know, hype team. Yeah. Uh, I think Aranda's seat is probably noticeably cooler than Fisher. Yeah, uh, probably so. But you know, it's still it's still a fair argument, right? Like it's uh, I don't know. <laughs> and in Texas, I feel like no seat is ever really that safe. No, not it, at the it, power five level, and it, not you know, like we we think of Baylor as not being all that great of a program, quote unquote. But the last three coaches they've had have played for Big Twelve championships. You know, so they're they're used to getting there. Uh, Aranda's quietly had two losing seasons in three years. If that turns to three out four, he's absolutely on the hot seat going into 2024. Yeah, this isn't the old uh, the old Floyd Casey days where right. Right. Baylor was, you know, barely having anybody in that stadium. I mean, they are used to another level of success now. Uh, and it, it has changed the expectations of that program. So I still think Aranda's probably a little bit safer than Jimbo, but, you know, it, it's it's still fair to call that a warm seat. Yeah, I put him on the warm seat because I believe he is on the hot seat if this year goes like last year. If if they if they're hovering around 500 or end up under 500, he absolutely is in the hot seat going into 2024 because then Texas and Oklahoma are gone. You're watching TCU emerge, maybe Texas Tech emerges, Kansas State just signed Chris Kleiman to an 8-year deal. And so the Big 12 with the expanded playoff becomes open, you can't get left behind. And as we mentioned, you know, Matt Rule's back in college football. Um, they're going to compare that Nebraska program to what's happening at Baylor as well. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Art Bryles, Matt Rule, and Dave Aranda have all gotten to Big 12 title games. Dave Aranda was able to win one. I think a lot of people would make the argument that was with Matt Rule's players. And so he's going to have to figure out how to do it without, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Petrie, right? Without uh, JT Woods, without Terrell Bernard. He's going to have to figure out a way to do that. Uh, we'll see what Baylor's going to do in a very crowded Big 12. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, I don't think you could find two more different guys in Matt Rule and, and Dave Aranda. Uh, but, you know, that, that's part of it, right? Recruiting, I don't know that recruiting is ever going to be Dave Aranda's favorite part of the game. I think he probably just would be content calling his defense and and uh, playing football, and that's about it. But uh, it's uh, it's still been fun to kind of watch that Baylor program and and what Aranda was able to do. Uh, by getting that team to the Big 12 championship. And we'll see if he's able to bounce back after a, a poor year in 2022. We got to talk your trip. We got to talk Jay's trip to Austin and San Antonio, the one that went without me being invited. 
Thursday night, Rollin' Smoke Barbecue. You tell me if I m- miss any of the stops because I have a question when I get through the whole the whole stop. But I want everybody to kind of just hear just the food consumption that happened over a three-day period because it's impressive as hell. Thursday night, Rollin' Smoke Barbecue. Friday morning, briskets. Friday lunch, KG Barbecue, which I have not tried. I need to get that on the list. Most of these other ones I've had, I've not had KG Barbecue. Friday night dinner, Barbecue ramen at Tatsuya. Good call, my friend. That's that's a good call. Saturday breakfast. This is the one that hurts me the most that I wasn't invited to. Valentina's Tex-Mex Barbecue. That is my favorite place in the 512. I love that place. Saturday lunch style switch. Did you have the Oreo uh, banana pudding or just the regular banana pudding? Just the regular banana pudding. You, you missed out on that. You should have invited me. You, you, I could have given you the tricks of the trade. Saturday dinner curry boys at san antonio and then your trip back to sunday because you were still somehow hungry you stopped at burt bean company in seguin and then you also fit in a dozier barbecue in fulcher trip like what what is happening <laughs> i so, want to know i want to know hold on before we get in i want to know before we when you when you close your eyes and you think about that trip what bite of food pops into your head first Oh man, it, it has to be the brisket shawarma from KG Barbecue. Okay. Uh, just because the so I've had the brisket huevos rancheros from Burt Bean before. Uh, I mean, I, first of all, let me say that I didn't have a bad bite on the trip. <laughs> right, like everything right. was fantastic. Uh, and I mean, man, but that brisket shawarma—it's just such a different flavor from uh the the typical texas barbecue palette and uh that was uh that was a lot of fun uh that whole i mean so for those of y'all that don't know kg barbecue the pitmaster there at kg barbecue uh is from cairo so there's a lot of egyptian influence on that menu a lot of mediterranean influence i mean you'll see like a pulled lamb shoulder with sumac on there uh, that's not a typical Texas flavoring pair, but the smoke is very Texas, and it, it's a uh, it's a really cool experience. So if you get a chance to get over there, I I highly recommend it. And as for as for not inviting you, Mike, I mean, I did post my itinerary online, and I had it because I I didn't want to you know make you feel pressured to come see me. That's true. That's true. You could have gotten a free meal on Company Dime though, so that was a miss. That was a yeah, miss that... on your. That was a miss on your part. I... I'm not, I'm refusing to look at my uh my accounts after this weekend. Oh my gosh, dude! Because barbecue, my friend, has become. Can we have this conversation? Barbecue is not steak. Like the whole point of barbecue for people, like it is the least quality cut of meat. At least one of them in a cow. And over time, people figured out a way to prepare it, but it needs 16 hours to be cooked correctly opposed to like two minutes for like a filet mignon. When did we, why did we allow, this also happens with tacos. Why have we allowed barbecue to become designer food that costs $38 a pound when really it used to be like throwaway meat uh, that we like, we just enjoyed in a niche thing. I hate it. It kills me. I can't eat as much. Well, hey, hey, you brought, you brought it up though. 16 hours. Think about the labor yeah. costs. I know it's supply demand. I get it. It just it feels you go and you stand in front of that line and you go, my I could have gone to a Brazilian steakhouse and I love barbecue, but like 
I mean, it's not a porterhouse, right? What are we doing? We're getting crazy here. We're just getting out. Yeah. Tacos have been the same thing, right? Like, don't <laughs> even get me started on like what, ta- like it's beans and cheese and tortillas and we've turned it into a 1295 experience. I hate it. It kills me. To be fair, I mean, Valentina's, you know, the, the real, the holy field. That place that is, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's a more than a $12 taco to yeah. be fair. No, it's yeah, no, it is. It is. It's I mean, I love it. it. I love it. I love it, but it kills me. You know, it's just like, man, we just let this get out of control. It was supposed to be like a cheap option. Like it was supposed to be the people's food. Right. And it's become, um, I don't know. It's just like, it's just a statement now as much as anything. There's a, uh, a place in, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the town here. Give me just a second. Uh, but it's a very, very old school barbecue joint. And it's uh, in between uh, San Antonio and uh, and uh, and Houston, hmm. just off 90. Okay, uh, it's in Hollettsville. Okay. Uh, and the name, I'm, I can't remember the name of it to save my life. That's going to kill me. Uh but the Tales from the Pits podcast guys, uh, they run like a barbecue podcast and they took me there and it's like one old dude just cooking direct heat and it's extremely cheap, but it is one of the best pork steak bites I've ever had in my life. And it's, uh, I mean, it is just a very, very special experience. I'll have to bring you in there sometime. You, you basically, you call ahead to order. It's cash only. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, kind of like a trip back in time, but it's, uh, I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be done. Just some dude that you don't really know his name, calling a number that's not listed, ordering some barbecue and just like showing up be like, I'm the, I'm the guy that just ordered the barbecue. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I do. I, I get it. Right. I mean, I live in Austin, so I understand how things get like bastardized and turned into like corporations and stuff. Uh, but it just, I don't know. It hurts my, I'm cheap at heart. Right. It doesn't matter how much money I just like, it's just hard to go because you walk out of a barbecue because like it used to be a place to go to lunch but like now i mean you're gonna spend 35 dollars, you know if you really want to like eat it probably more than that and so it's just you know it's just amazing how much it's i mean obviously i'm a little bit biased because i love all the the tech fit masters and they got to make a living but sure 100 it's uh yeah it's it's definitely driven up but i mean part of that is because of the the suppliers i mean oh, part yeah. of that is the you know there's only so many places that you can get beef from and yeah uh they gotta they gotta mark it up to make a profit especially with all the labor and time and and everything else that goes into producing great smoked meats like cauliflower it's just had a huge explosion over the last few years like the marketing team for barbecue has been excellent um you know the texas 50 list was a great idea to kind of to kind of up the level of everyone and, and and get people interested in that um, all the documentaries and the Netflix shows, like they, they've done a good job of making the experience worth it. Uh, it just is amazing that you can get a sirloin for less money than you can get a half pound of brisket. Like that is just always as a as a dude from Bertram, Texas, with a ranch with cows on it and shit. That is just crazy to me. That's just absolutely <laughs> crazy to me. Uh, but I digress. I wanted to ask you before we get going here, XFL thoughts. Uh, I haven't gone. To this version of XFL, you were there in San Antonio for the championship game. You were close enough to the rock uh, to be intimidated. Uh, what is that experience like? Uh, how would you compare it to maybe, I don't know, any type of professional football you've been to in Houston? 
Well, first of all, I got to say that The Rock, I mean, you want to talk about a dude that just has an aura about him. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. He walks into a place and that is, I mean, just the energy levels just by him being there just go through the roof. Uh, so that was kind of crazy being close to him, even though, I mean, there was such a mad rush. I was going to try to ask about possible expansion in the XFL and immediately I was like, nope, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, just because of the way people kind of like rushed him. Yeah. Uh, it was like paparazzi uh, mm-hmm. almost, but uh, no, I mean, the XFL, it was a great experience. Uh, so in the, in the Alamo dome, uh, they only sold the bottom, the bottom bowl. Uh, I think the announced attendance was 22,574, something like that. Uh, it got loud. I mean, the, the crowd was into it. And I think part of that is San Antonio is such a football hungry town in general. Yeah. Uh, the, they enjoyed it, but I mean, there was a, it was a good crowd. It was exciting. And it, it felt NFL games are like super expensive to go to now. Sure. The XFL seems like it presented a affordable option. Uh, and I think that's part of why, the they were able to get such a good crowd in there uh for the for the championship game and then you, you add to that fact that the xfl has kind of embraced that they're a feeder league that they want to get guys to the next level and they're celebrating when xfl guys sign with the nfl and i think that gives it some longevity in this in this current version of the league yeah i mean more football is good football Right. I mean, competition is good. Uh, you know, kind of a minor league system is needed between college. Maybe gives athletes a chance to go early uh, eventually if they don't want to do the college thing with how NIL and the NCAA uh, works out. Kind of like what we're seeing with the G League and basketball. Um, so we'll see where it goes. I do think that there's some fascinating options there, right? Like if if instead of playing your third year at Ohio State, you could go to the XFL. Here's the thing, though. Probably pay cut. Yeah, it, as it, I'm talking about it out loud, the reason that won't happen is because it would be a pay cut to leave Georgia to go to the XFL if you were like a star junior. And so until that changes, I guess college football is safe. Now the flip side of that is there's only so many uh, so many spots on an NFL roster, so you have sure. a lot of guys who were in the NFL and uh, spent their time in the XFL trying to get back to the NFL. So you have guys like A.J. McCarron was playing quarterback for the uh, for the Battle Hawks in St. Louis. Uh, ben DiNucci was a guy that uh, spent some time on the Dallas Cowboys roster and then uh, ended up with the Seattle team, and now he looks like he's going to be with the Broncos. Uh, you go back to a guy like P.J. Walker in the 2020 version of the XFL uh, who had a great career at Temple in college football, uh, and then – played really well for Houston and ends up signing a contract on the back of that. So maybe it's not the best for guys going straight out of college, but if guys, you know, don't get drafted and their eligibility is up, I think the XFL is a great place for them to end up uh, and, and kind of prove themselves. And the flip side of that is it's also, you know, talking to some of the coaches in the XFL, they, uh, they don't hate being there as opposed to being in the college game either. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, uh Mark Schneider, who was my defensive coordinator at AM, was with the Orlando team. And, you know, talking about not having to get onto guys with grades and uh, having older guys who have been in the NFL and are, are trying to get back there. There's, there's a difference in, in the approach to the game uh, that college kids who are kind of young and, and a, a little bit uh, more naive in the ways of the world aren't going to have. So you have those guys that are fresh out of college and they're, they're, meeting with guys who have been to the NFL, who know what it takes, who know what practices are like. Uh, and, and it's another learning process where 
guys are are getting a chance to you know be around people athletes who are have been at the highest level of the sport and are trying to get back and it's a lot easier for them to learn what it takes to be uh you know kind of a a guy in the nfl as opposed to you're coming from college and you know you can hear people talk about it but you're not necessarily seeing that approach and you don't have to recruit and that's that's nice because that's that's become like a 43 out of 52 weekend job. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's another option. I, we're you know, as much as we talk about players and the movement of the transfer portal and what's going to happen with NIL, uh, I think to watch out for is how many college coaches are going to leave for the reasons that you mentioned it for recruiting, just the, the calendar and what it can do uh, for the balance in your life. So, yeah, watching the XFL, USFL, that's going to be interesting um, to see where that goes in the next couple of years. Troubadour Festival this weekend. Uh, May 20th, Aggie Park and College Station. Go find Jay. Take some videos. Uh, get some content. Um, what are, are you looking Is there a certain thing you're looking forward to the most here? What is, what is the headliner at the Jupiter? I am a, uh, I am a, I, I don't know anything about what's happening. Yeah. I mean, so 34 of the best joints of uh, Texas barbecue in the state. Just going to go out there and, and cook some bites for people. Uh, obviously, excited to see some of the Austin joints that I missed, uh, like Leroy and Lewis and Interstellar, who are going to be uh at the festival this weekend uh but i mean there's just so many good barbecue joints i'm you know i'm probably not going to try to squeeze in all 34 i've done that the last two troubadour festivals i've gone to where i like sprinted around to get every bite this time i think i'm just going to go see some of the pit matches that I, I know and, and and talk to them about it and then the uh the music lineup pretty good as well if you're a if you're a country guy like i am uh midland's the headliner but then you got shane smith and the saints uh, you got Charlie Robeson, who's come back from, uh, you know, he had to retire a little bit uh, due to some vocal stuff. Uh, Uncle Lucius, who's a, a fun kind of Texas rock country band uh, and Treaty Oak Revival. Uh, so it's it's a fun lineup that they have uh, there at Troubadour Fest at Aggie Park. Uh, hopefully the weather is good, but uh, setting up to be a fantastic Saturday uh, in College Station. When you were naming some of those bands, uh, it reminded me that I saw the ACL lineup come out uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, and they all, half of those bands sound like weed strains, and I don't know if that's because I'm old or because of band names have just gotten out of hand. Uh, in the in the dog days to be of fair, summer, weed, weed strands have gotten out of hand. With oh yeah, absolutely, too. absolutely. <laughs> uh, when we get into the dog days of summer, we're gonna play a game called like band or weed strand. You know, we're going to figure out kind of like what that is. That's what we're going to do. Uh, that just, that game just came to me. And this is the only place I think I can get away with playing it. So that, that's how <laughs> that's how that's going to work. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that was a relatively solid, jam-packed and, and kind of on-topic discussion for it being May 15th. I think we did good. I mean, there's only so much we can talk about with college football in May, but uh, we even circled all the way back around to, to spring football with, with the XFL. So I think that exactly. was a, a pretty good job by both of us there. Not too bad. Not too bad. We're in uh regular season form here, May 15th. Hopefully we don't, we don't hit a wall by this thing gets going. <laughs> uh, we're doing every other week. So that'll be our last episode this month. We'll come back uh, early June, check back in probably some more portal stuff. Maybe start getting into some depth chart thing. Maybe start looking ahead at some non-conference opponents. Uh, get at us on social media. Tell us what you want us to talk about, what you're interested in, and we'll get that going. Uh, for Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, Republic of Football, 
Uh, please rate, subscribe, all that kind of jazz. And we will talk to you in two weeks.